Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I am joined once more remotely by my co-host, Julio. Julio, how are you doing on this actually quite lovely Sunday morning? It is a lovely a lovely Sunday. It's been a lovely weekend. Uh, just We're on what? Uh, week six, seven of quarantine by now? And I, I think I finally settled into a groove. I was telling you before we started recording that I've I've finally come to peace with uh, spending a lot of time playing video games. And uh, once you accept that, everything else is just smooth sailing. Oh, yeah. The dominoes fall once you accept that this is this is your life for the for the now. Uh, but trying to keep on as best we can here at the Contrarians, we're moving into the summer of Winona. Uh Harkening back to our, was that two years ago that we hosted the Summer of Travolta? Uh, yeah, I think it's it was just like right in the middle of our Contrarian's career so far. Yes, so uh, first and foremost, if this is your first time listening to the Contrarians, uh, we thank you. A uh, quick rundown for what we do here on the Contrarians. Uh, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say, and we will go on Rotten Tomatoes, find a movie that's highly rated, also known as Certified Fresh, make a case for why it should be taken down a few pegs, and then on the other side of the coin, like we'll be doing today, find a rotten movie on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, make a case for its positive merit. This all happens in the first portion of the podcast, known as Contrarian's Corner. If you want to know how we really feel, stick around for the second half, the appropriately titled Real Talk. Now, with that out of the way, I was going to say also, if you're a longtime listener, you know exactly what we're referring to with the summer of Travolta. Uh, but in case that you are a newer listener or first time, uh, two years ago, Julio um, laid out a hell of a roadmap for us with uh, the John Travolta, the ups and downs, the, the dizzying highs and the, the tumultuous lows of his filmography. And we spent the entire summer going through that. Uh, Julio has outdone himself in 2020, the year of quarantine, as he has made a roadmap for Winona Ryder's dizzying highs, the abysmal lows, <laughs> and the creamy centers as uh, we kick it off with, uh, is this 2002 or 2003? 2002. 2002. I, I, yeah, they were definitely um, of a very specific, like Sandler's wardrobe in this movie was definitely... <laughs> You know, it's in the the wake of um, Dreamcast chic, as we've coined uh-huh. that term here. On is this the male the, version of that? No, th- we're we're in the wake of that. So this is like that. Um, 
He's wearing basically the outfit that any male that hosted Saturday Night Live in the year 2002 wore. <laughs> so I guess it's the just that very, very niche uh, style that, as we've talked about before, and as anyone in our age range can attest to, it seems like every year from 97 to 2004, five, there was just each year there was a very specific style that was socially acceptable and it changed very quickly. Uh, and we see that here on full display. And then, and then we settled. Then we got, we got uh, much like me with the quarantine. We just got comfortable and we stopped uh, evolving our fashion sense. Yes, yes, that's exactly what happened. We're, you know, everyone's just kind of wearing what feels good. We're not too far away from what's that guy's name, uh, John uh, Ratzenberger and Wally, where we just all wear those just skin tight red. Uh, <laughs> I guess just coveralls, for evergreen pajamas. But the fashion du jour is in the Adam Sandler movie, Mr. Deeds, that is starring the uh, the star of the summer, uh, Winona Ryder. So, Julio, we're starting with Mr. Deeds. What can listeners expect for the remainder of the summer in terms of the, the Winona contributions? Uh, so, the... Once more, and I promise for the last time, we've done a little bit of reshuffling with the scheduling because I realized that, uh, uh, like I was telling you right before we started recording, I realized that I somehow I put two fresh movies back to back, which, you know, we, we can't do that. We have a structure here at The Contrarians. So once more, reshuffled for the last time. This is your ultimate uh, summer of Winona schedule, starting with Mr. Deeds today. And then we'll move on from there to Beetlejuice, Alien Resurrection, Lost Souls, Reality Bites, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Dilemma, Edward Scissorhands, The Crucible, Homefront, and then Little Women. It's sort of like our finale before we move on to uh, the Winonis, which will be our awards, and also covering Stranger Things as part of the Winonis, uh, because that's TV, and we only do TV in very, very, very special occasions. Uh, now, if you are a regular listener and you've listened to uh, the previous drafts of the schedule, you'll notice that Heather's is missing. It's not missing. We're still going to do it. I just don't know that we'll be able to fit it into the summer, so it might happen a couple episodes after the summer of Winona wraps up, or depending on what the what the country looks like, what what our our life looks like at the end of the summer, we may be able to fit in a fourth episode on that final month of the summer, and then we'll do Heather's before we do uh, the Winona's and Stranger Things. We shall see. But either way, a lot of Winona goodness. Alex, do you even remember what was going on when I sent you the very first message about the summer of Winona? Uh, I do not. I, you'll have to forgive me. Julio and I will just randomly text each other ideas that we have, and uh, our brains work similarly in that these points of origin can just come randomly. But for the specifics of the summer of Winona, what was going through your skull at this point, Julio? Um, well, I was uh, at a hospital. I was getting blood drawn out. I was getting prepped for surgery. My my mother had come to visit, even though it was like minor surgery. She she made a point to come to visit so she could uh, just be here in case anything went wrong. My wife was sitting uh, nearby, almost passing out because she couldn't. Uh, she just realized that she couldn't handle seeing blood come out of my arm. <laughs> uh, and I was just kind of dizzy about the whole thing. I don't know what made me think of Winona Ryder. Maybe her Dracula movie and blood. I don't know. But then I just started typing it all on a 
on the notes app and i looked at it and i was like you know this sounds like it would be fun and then i sent it to you and i said alex <laughs> if i don't make it uh through this morning this should be my legacy. You should make sure that you do these episodes with someone. I don't know if you remember yes. that, but I remember. <laughs> no, yeah, that's coming back to me now. Actually, <laughs> it was it was Julio's. Uh, it was his final transmission. Yes, I I was. I don't know why, because I hadn't like really pumped any drugs into me at the time. But I don't know. You know, nobody likes being in hospital, so I guess we all we all cope with the stress in different ways. And so the summer of Winona was my stress coping mechanism <laughs> for having surgery no, last yeah. year. <laughs> Yeah, mine mine was The Simpsons when I had my surgery last year also. That was very similar to what you're explaining. It was before I really got pumped full of any drugs or anything like that, but they were strapping me to the table. I just uh it's the last thing I remember. I just I thought of uh Homer when he has his triple bypass and Dr. Nick looks at him on the operating table and as Homer's falling asleep, he hears the doctor go, What the hell is that? <laughs> and that's exactly what I thought of. So I understand that uh, our coping mechanisms may seem strange to others, but to uh, to each other, that, that makes perfect sense. Well, you, um, you know, it makes sense, actually, now that I think about it, because I love Winona Ryder. And, you know, since uh, the woman I love in real life was, was <laughs> almost passing out in that room, I guess I went to a backup. I went to a, what would calm me down back in my, uh, not even teenage years maybe somewhat teenage years young adult years and that was when our writer the 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 girl next door at the time uh, you're bruce willis at the end of armageddon when he hits the detonator and just you see those flashes of Liv tyler it was just <laughs> it, it was julio hitting the surgery detonator and these flashes of winona uh i did try to convince julio to put black swan in the listing but we both agreed her part in it is not long enough to justify inclusion in the summer of winona but uh, I think that might be a really good uh, – we, we should probably aim to do that around Halloween because I think – I consider that a horror movie, and I think uh, it deserves more discussion than it actually gets. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I think that the only – you know, we've seen most of the movies on the lineup. There's a few surprises for both of us as far as, like, we don't know what's what's it going to be like. And the the most recent addition, Homefront – it could be, I have no idea what Winona Ryder's role in that movie is. Mm. So we, maybe, you know, we're, we're talking trash about Black Swan for not featuring enough Winona, and it might be the Homefront features even less. But uh, if that's the case, it was not intentional. <laughs> we, we'll just find out. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing Heathers regardless of when it actually falls, uh, because that movie is a massive uh, blind spot in my, I guess, Movie uh, zeitgeist or film knowledge. Same here. I've always heard uh, good things about it, though. We are starting with a blind spot for both of us, right? Yes, this was uh, my first time seeing Mr. Deeds with Adam Sandler. It was um, so 2002. So I would have been f- uh, 15, 14, 15 in that range. So I remember specifically this movie. I had already gotten over Adam Sandler movies. I think the previous one that I saw that I was like the target market for Adam Sandler movies might have been Big Daddy. Yeah, because I remember this like wasn't for me anymore. So because of that, it's been nearly 20 years and I'm just now seeing this charming, hilarious romp. And I feel like (laughs) I've been missing out for 20 years. Uh I feel like a lot of people missed out just going by these uh, these critic reviews. <laughs> Even when they were watching it, they were missing out. So 
Mr. Deeds is at a lowly 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it is one of those nasty, rotten, green splotches we talked about. So let's have it a go and talk about why this baby needs some more recognition. But with that being said, doesn't mean the critics were really on fire about it. What were these critics saying, Julio? Um, a bunch of... Uh splotchy green things uh, from the Rotten Tomatoes website, starting with Jeff Burson from City Search, who says the story is predictable, the jokes are typical Sandler fare, and the romance with Ryder is puzzling. Do you think, I, I that was something that was I was uh, grappling with last night, because as I've already alluded to, to me, Winona Ryder was one of my early uh, Hollywood crushes, and I don't know. I don't know that it's puzzling to see her hooking up with Adam Sandler. I think it's inspiring. It just it's this movie's all about the little person and uh, what biggest triumph for the little person than just achieving, uh, the, you know, Nirvana with Vinona Ryder. Uh, yeah, I mean, it shows at the end of the day we're all human, uh, and I think it shows more importantly that no one is untouchable. <laughs> Uh, you know what else isn't untouchable? Classic movies. Uh, Josh Gilchrist from Billings Outpost, Montana, says, No longer can a classic movie go silently into the volumes of film history without someone thinking up a sequel or remake. Uh, I don't think that was news in 2002. Definitely not news now. No. Uh, I haven't seen the Frank Capra original. Have you seen it? I think it's Mr. Deeds goes to... Washington goes to Hollywood. I don't know. <laughs> Mr. Deeds goes to town. <laughs> uh, no, I, I have not. Um, and even that was, I, I remember this was originally based off a short story of some sort, like uh, not unlike the fly. Was it published it was, in playboy? Uh, <laughs> a hustler actually. <laughs> um, I don't remember exactly what the short story was called. I don't think it was called Mr. Deeds, but it, yeah, the original movie from the thirties was based off a short story. And, uh, I, I would venture to say if you had pulled theaters at this point in time, 95% of people that went and saw Mr. Deeds had no clue. It was a remake of any sort. I would just, I would have loved to be sitting next to the, uh, the, just the standard Adam Sandler fan that halfway through the movie goes, wait, this is a remake of that Frank Copper movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that Mr. D. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, speaking of Adam Sandler, Eugene Novikov from Film Blather says, Adam Sandler is not funny. Nothing he does is funny. His movies, with a couple exceptions, aren't funny. Uh, I'm sure the couple exceptions are The Wedding Singer and, I don't know, what's this other super mainstream? Happy Gilmore. Yeah, maybe Happy Gilmore. I think that's universally loved i uh, you know i've I, we'll talk more about how i feel about sandler in real talk although i feel like in this podcast we've done our fair share of adam sandler both bashing and praising oh yeah and we had a really um i can't remember which episode it was but we did have a really good discussion about uncut gems yeah sandler's definitely been covered and we talked about we've talked about a lot about his comedy i think uh we probably brought it up when we did black sheep about it's that very specific brand of comedy that if it works for you, you're probably going to enjoy everything he's in. And if it doesn't work for you, then God have mercy on your soul. Yeah, Adam Sandler is like if uh, if uh, Ken Jeong had a production company and was making his own movies, <laughs> his own vehicles. Yes, but to the, the beloved point, uh, Happy Gilmore, Wedding Singer, Airheads, 
I know a lot of people love Billy Madison. I think they should probably give that a rewatch uh, with some modern lenses. But uh, any more quotes? Uh, yes. Uh Susan Michals from filmstew.com says, Peter Gallagher must have been hard up for cash. Well. <laughs> Everybody is. Are we talking to, Are we talking about Peter Gallagher or his character in the movie? Because I guess both of those would be correct. <laughs> the, when truth and fiction blend together. Uh, and then, like, I'm going to try to do this for every episode. I don't know that it'll, it'll happen, but at least on as many as we can, we will. Where we'll have... Uh, friends of the podcast, podcasters and guests we had before, uh, just come in and kind of pop in with with short clips telling us how they feel about certain movies. You won't be surprised, Alex, to learn that some movies are a lot easier to get clips for than others. Uh, I've yet to have any takers for uh, Lost Souls or The Dilemma, uh, as far as people that have either positive or negative opinions <laughs> about them. Uh, <laughs> yet everybody was throwing their hat in the ring for Alien Resurrection, for example. So, uh, like I said, there may be some episodes where we don't have this. But for Mr. Deeds, we have a positive and a negative. Uh, we'll play the positive during real talk. But the negative right now uh, is from Ashley from the Rabbit Ears podcast. Uh, here it is. This is Ashley from the Rabbit Ears TV podcast. Mr. Deeds is far and away the worst Adam Sandler movie that I've ever seen. It is painful to watch and remarkably unfunny. And this is coming from a person that loves stupid comedy. Winona Ryder, however, is easily the best actor in this movie, but her character, like all the rest, are not entertaining. And saying that she's the best actor in this movie is like saying that herpes is the favorite of all your STDs. Winona is better than this movie, but I will give her a little bit of a pass since it was a time in her life where she seemed to be on a self-destructive path, i.e. her shoplifting incident the previous year. I did attempt to watch a few clips from this movie as a refresher for this review, and I struggled to make it even through a two-minute trailer. This movie sucks. All right. So I, this is this is probably going to be covered a little more on Real Talk, but uh, this is basically the movie before she went on hiatus for, for a few years. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that a lot of people see it as kind of the final straw before we hit the dark chunk of her career of her filmography which is why i thought it was it would be pretty cool to start with it uh here i mean we can argue that it's it is not it was uh she before that hiatus she went out on a, on a high note yes and uh i i guess this is going to familiarize me a lot more with her filmography and style i mean i know beetlejuice and some of her higher points but had she really done too many paint by numbers romantic comedies up until this point no i think that you know it's crazy which is what makes her a, a fascinating subject for the summer is that she had such a good mix in her career of comedies but not the by numbers comedy more like the indies comedies right we're talking about heathers reality bites uh yeah, and then she was, you know, she had her collaborations with uh with Tim Burton, uh, and she had the period pieces, the artsy like awards bait stuff, and uh, this is I don't think that before Mr. Deeds, I don't think there was anything like Mr. Deeds in her career. This, I mean, you could argue uh, until you make an Adam Sandler movie, there's been nothing like an Adam Sandler movie in your filmography, but. You know, the mean way of saying it is that this was her kind of selling out. And she's like, all right, I'll just make it. I'll I'll make one for the money. <laughs> Take one for the team. Make one for my kids. Those sweet, uh, the sweet Sandler dollars. There you go. I mean, who can resist? 
I'll tell you who couldn't resist, and that was Stephen Brill, who directed Mr. Deeds. Julio, I don't expect you to remember his previous contribution to The Contrarians, but I'll just ask, do you remember Stephen Brill's previous contribution to The Contrarians? So he's done a movie for The Contrarians already. Uh, Is it a Happy Madison? Uh, He wrote it. I should say he wrote it. He didn't direct a movie that we covered. um, I really hope it's not uh, uh, Paul Blart. I can't. I completely forgot we did that. (laughs) I have blocked that out of my brain. It was not. Uh, Stephen Brill, uh, and this is very fitting as we just passed the 20-year mark of the release of this movie, Stephen Brill wrote the 2000 classic uh, Ready to Rumble starring David Arquette and uh, Scott Kahn. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Stephen Brill has directed a myriad of other Happy Madison movies, um, and including Little Nicky, uh, something called Sandy Wexler, the do-over, et cetera, et cetera. He also uh, directed Heavyweights. It was his first movie he directed, the Disney movie from 1995 that uh, I rented and watched a lot as a little kid. He also has uh, lots of cameos in the Sandler universe. The one that I could point to that I think most people would be, oh, yeah, that guy. He's Glenn's friend in uh, The Wedding Singer that's like, hey, I heard you got stood up at the altar. That had to suck. Like the guy that's just giving uh, Robbie all the shit at the party. But he came to the helm to direct the fifth Happy Madison produced movie. Julio, you want to take any guess at what the first one was? Uh, you're gonna make fun of me because I, I almost said grown ups. I was like, that was so much later. No, uh, the first happy fifty uh, first dates. Uh, no, that was that would come later in the line. The first Happy Madison movie wasn't even an Adam Sandler movie. It was Deuce Bigelow Male Gigolo. Well, you Star- know, keeping it in the family. The incomparable Rob Schneider. The God, his uh, it's not even a fall from grace. <laughs> he basically just. Ran into a brick wall going 500 miles an hour uh, as after 2005, he was nowhere to be found. Mr. Deeds is the story of Longfellow Deeds, uh, our titular character, played by Adam Sandler, who runs a pizzeria. He's an aspiring uh, greeting card writer and lives in New Hampshire. Uh, what was the name of the city he lives in? Um, Mandrake Falls, which I'm not sure if that's a fictional or actual city, but it's a small rural community, uh, everyone knows each other's business type of place. Uh, the reason he's tied into all this is a billionaire by the name of Preston Blake dies while mountain climbing. He has no immediate heir, but it turns out like his only living relative is Deeds. They said it was his uncle. His great uncle. Great uncle. Uh, and so he stands to inherit his entire fortune, which consists of $40 billion. Um, my very first note here, uh, it has nothing even to do with the plot of the movie, but uh, I watched this on Amazon Prime. How did you watch it? Uh, also Amazon Prime. I was I was shocked to find out I didn't own it. <laughs> uh, my appreciation immediately skyrocketed because it was clearly a film transfer of the film, uh, of the movie, I should say. And uh, I could tell right away, and that made me very happy. All those cigarette burns. Just really adding to the <laughs> the ambiance of the 2002s. So I launch into the story of Deeds, but actually in uh, playing out 
in front of you if you're watching the movie, we actually see Winona Ryder before we see Adam Sandler letting you know like where the big guns lie in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. There's it's a it's a three punch, right? Because first you see Jared Harris, who fans of Batman, they know him as the the stuffy British uh lane. And here he's playing against type. I, I've honestly, I've never seen him in anything else where he made an impression other than Mad Men. And he's great in Mad Men, but he's just, like I said, this is a stuffy English guy. So here, he's got long hair, uh, and he is the uh, a sleazy news anchor, entertainment anchor. Uh, so that's, that's punch number one. Punch number two is Peter Gallagher, who walks around uh, with those gorgeous eyebrows of his, <laughs> playing... I guess he is the main bad guy in this movie, right? It would be, oh, he's yeah. the big bad. Jared Harris is like the, the mini boss before you get to, to Peter Gallagher. And and then you get Winona as a, as a knockout punch later. Not as a blonde yet. More a, a, as like the traditional Winona that we're used to um, at this point. Long hair, black hair. And uh, it is great. Already, you just set up three superstars there before you even get to the protagonist. So good, good stuff. Good setup. Uh for the rest of the movie. So Winona Ryder plays Babe is the character's name. Yes. And uh, Babe Bartlett. Did I get that right? Babe Bennett. And she is a news reporter for, I guess, what would be the precursor to TMZ. uh, One of those tabloid, uh, quote unquote, journalist shows titled, I think it was Inside Affair. Um, So they are wanting to get the story on this uh, Blake estate and where it's going to go. They catch wind of uh, the fact that this Deeds fella is going to get it. And he is coming to town, I believe, what's Peter Gallagher and Peter Gallagher's uh, sidekick in this, uh, Cecil Eric uh, Avari. Yeah, he's hilarious. He looked familiar, but I (laughs) wasn't really sure of where else I knew him from, but he definitely looked familiar. Anyway, he comes to town. The lead of this inside affair wants Winona Ryder to get the story. So uh, she essentially has to go undercover. She creates an alternate identity as Pam Dawson, a school nurse, to get closer to and get information from Deeds. Now, back home with Deeds, you know, it paints the picture of a guy who uh, is very naive, very trusting in the the good nature of people. He's a... I I think I have somewhere in my notes that he's annoying, uh, obnoxiously naive is the note that I have here. But that is Um, to us, to the to a modern audience, because we're so hip, we're so cool, we we are so jaded, and so the idea to see not just a nice guy, a super nice guy, but a super nice guy played by Adam Sandler, who you and I, I mean, our last Sandler experience was him playing a scumbag in Uncut Gems, so it just feels like something isn't right, but. I think that's really what the movie's going for, because even before Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler was known for playing, uh, you know, the characters that might have been childlike, but they also were kind of uh, uh, obnoxious. And I think that Mr. Deeds, he, he is kind of like the ultimate representation of those characters. He's a guy that's super nice, you know, yeah, naive, childlike, but also he has a darker side, that darker side that we know from other Sandler movies, because he is, uh, he can he can be violent, he can be irresponsible, he can be a little mean. It's, it's kind of like perfect casting, because it plays with your assumptions of what a Sandler character is, and then it, it really plays into it when he's good and when he's bad later in the movie. We get the normal cast of characters here that we've come to know and love with Happy Madison. Uh, there's the mandatory uh, Steve Buscemi, weird-looking character, 
And then uh, I actually, uh, Alan Covert actually has a role in this. I would, I'm used to seeing Alan Covert either as the lead in Grandma's Boy or just as kind of a background character that has a couple lines. I'm referring to Alan Covert, who played the obnoxious like um, reporter at Inside Affair that looks like Thurman Merman if he lost a bunch of weight when he grew up. <laughs> oh, the guy that has a crush on uh, Winona Ryder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the guys that- <laughs> The audience surrogate? <laughs> we're used to seeing like Dante in roles where he- uh, has very small, minimal roles. But so like when he showed up, I was like, Oh, there he is. And then he just was in the rest of the movie pretty full time. And I was like, Oh, this is what we're doing. All right. So that to say, we do have the full cast of uh happy Madison characters, but we are introduced to some, some new faces that I think would become uh part of that universe. And they're familiar to us already, specifically John Totoro, who plays the, the Butler in this mansion that deeds is getting to stay at now. Emilio, and it just brings a certain level of elegance and class to the film that was kind of lacking. Yeah, I think the Toro walks the line right down the middle. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every every actor here, every performer is is doing great and it, they work. But we have, much like when we were talking about uh, No Holds Barred, we have different acting styles all over the place, right? Because you have Steve Buscemi in full cartoon mode with the eyes going different ways and just eating Oreo pizzas and all this stuff. Uh, you have Peter Gallagher and we know writer who are acting like they're not in, in a regular movie. They they look and behave like people that you would run in, uh, you know, on the street. And and then you have Torturo who is like right down the middle because he's playing somebody from Spain, and you know, John Torturo is not from Spain, but. You can look past that just because you know he's being really funny, and and also because he actually gets some some dramatic moments later in the movie. It, he's he's like a good mixture of of both uh, both styles. Yeah, he blends the the best of both worlds, as the cliche goes. Uh, they immediately hit it off, Emilio and Deeds. That is, uh, they get into all kinds of hijinks and funny situations. Specifically, we learned that Deeds uh, got nasty frostbite as a kid on his foot. Now he can't feel it anymore. It's just his nasty black foot. This is uh, th- this is what I remember from the trailer. I don't know about you, but I remember this specifically. Uh, and he basically just has John Totoro go to town on it with a fireplace poker, and they're having fun. It, it adds some levity to the-, the situation. How awesome is it that that foot later has a payoff of its own? It's it's not a throwaway joke. He actually the, the foot becomes a plot device later in the movie. So it's it's the the rust and bone moment. Yes. <laughs> um, there is also as as they're heading before he even gets to the mansion, there is a, a musical moment to rival maybe our our favorite musical moment so far here in the Contrarians, which is when Adam Sandler leads everybody in the. Is it a, a helicopter or is it a plane? Whatever they are. He's he's traveling with Peter Gallagher. His, yeah, his it's a, like a private jet. Yeah, and then they sing uh, Space Oddity. And suddenly I was wondering, did, did Kirsten Wig just, it, has she been dethroned as the as our favorite David Bowie cover artist? Were you excited when you recognized what they were doing? It honestly made me think that this may be part of a bigger project once the summer of Winona is over that we compile all of the the cinematic and television based scenes of space odyssey and make like the imagined supercut that the, all the celebrities <laughs> made and put it all together. Cause I mean, it's such an entrancing intoxicating song. <laughs> we got to open with Chandler. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the, 
the payoff would like the closing. No, no, no. You'd have to put uh, Kristen Wiig in the middle to build up to it because that's <laughs> that's a project for another time and another day. But yes, to your point, it was very welcome and very unexpected to see. Um, Sandler fits right in like a hand into a glove and begins proceeding with all the business dealings that were left behind for him. Specifically, he now owns the uh, the Jets, the New York Jets, and uh, has it out with the quarterback of their team helping out with his contract, but also not being afraid to lay down the law and um, put a man in his place for swearing in front of women, which I think is a, a lost bit of chivalry and a lost bit of um, uh, manners. Um, is that guy, is that guy uh, an actual football player or is he just a uh, uh, happy Madison? He acted like one. <laughs> you can't tell. Like, he could be both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did not recognize him. Let's see. He is a uh, actually a stuntman. He did have a big build, so that would make sense that he was a stuntman. Looks like he was in Collateral, did some work in Collateral. Oh, he was uh, Tom Cruise's stunt double? Probably. <laughs> he also did work in uh, Meet Dave with Eddie Murphy, which I always love to bring that movie up because its budget was $60 million, <laughs> and I think literally 50 of that went to Eddie Murphy. Well, Eddie Murphy playing everybody, including the spaceship. That's right. Uh, we have to have our meet cute first with uh, Winona and Adam. They set up the situation. They they've learned that he's just a good person. He's a gentleman, and he'll he'll help people in needs. And so, uh, Alan Covert sets up the situation where it's going to look like he's mugging and or robbing Babe, uh, or soon she'll be known as Pam Dawson. Uh, in doing so, uh, while Deeds gets out of his limo, I think it's outside of uh, his mansion is where he's starting to go. And anyway. He breaks it up, but he chases down uh, Alan Covert and just beats the shit out of him. Like it's, uh, you know, we're talking killer inside me levels of uncomfortable. <laughs> there, he just tackles him and just mounts him, and it's just raining down blows to a clearly unconscious man. It's, it's a, uh, it's the real deal. But it's so it's the first time, second, I guess, if you count the incident with the with the foot, but. This is where we get to see the dark side of of Longfellow deeds, right? Because he is such a nice guy most of the time that, of course, it shocks you when he becomes so violent. This he he becomes uncut gems, uh, uh, punch strong love Adam Sandler for just ten seconds. Yes, but but it's great because now now you have something interesting going on. You have this uh, sort of evil reporter with our writer apparently trying to prey on the innocent. But at the same time, in the back of your head, you're a little worried about her because you don't know how this guy's going to react when he finally finds out what's going on. We've seen these movies before. We know that at some point he's going to find out what's what's going on. So I thought it was it was really exciting just to see that. And it's also, uh, you know, I'm going to keep going back to the casting because it's just so perfect to have Winner Ryder, who at this point, this is like we mentioned at the beginning, this is before her, her filmography kind of took a took a dive. So at this point, everybody knew her still as, uh, uh, or at least attempted of the shooting, everybody knew her as uh, this sort of all-American girl just being lovely and talented and everything. So, of course, Adam Sandler's going to go berserk on anybody who's trying to harm her. So it, it just it just made sense. That, that, that whole scene, you're seeing uh, one of America's sweethearts uh, suddenly being rescued by one of America's funny psychos. It, it's just <laughs> such, a, such a perfect capsule of 2002. So this leads to them going out for dinner. Uh, this is where my note says Deeds is obnoxiously naive. Um, he's explaining his hometown to Pam, 
uh, babe, what have you. Um, this was uh, such a random joke. Did you get the the thinner joke right here? Thinner? Oh, the oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Because they mentioned Stephen King. I did not get it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, a joke made for people like me that typically would have no interest or joy in a movie like this, but randomly inserts this joke about thinner, which is a very niche Stephen King movie from the mid nineties. Uh, so I appreciated that they were playing for the, the, you know, the back of the stadium with that one. That's for the, it. for the John Turturro fans. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, they end up meeting with, uh, or eating, excuse me, with some local dignitaries, people from the New Yorker, people from the opera, and they all just, you know, kind of end up, making fun of him and doing, you know, uh, he's just a country bumpkin that's an idiot, doesn't know anything, and we're big people from the big city. So naturally, he responds by beating the shit out of all of them. That's that's kind of the, the main theme of the movie in the end, uh, and I'm sure that that, was, that comes from the original, the, the whole idea of the little person versus uh, the the fat cats in the city. The, the fat suits, as Michael Scott calls them. Yes, <laughs> uh, but this is this is cool because this is what you need in a, sort of a modern remake, an update of, of the story, because they have a clash ideologically, right? Sandler is there being being a sort of country bumpkin and telling them about his uh, uh, the the greeting cards that he writes, and they're laughing at him, and then he realizes that they're laughing at him, and he just kind of takes the high road, and he says, "Well, fuck you guys, I'm gonna leave," and he grabs Mona Ryder and says. Uh, you know, you should be glad that she's here with me or I would kick your asses. And David Norton Ryder goes, well, I don't care. I don't mind. And then he does what you don't see in these movies usually, which is he escalates from ideologically to physically. And he just goes and beats him up. And it's awesome. That sort of thing. It was uh, so surprising when it happened in the movie. And it's not like it spends a long time. I mean, it's kind of a, a pretty short action sequence. But it's so rewarding to just suddenly see... Uh, once again, Adam Sandler cut loose uh, on people that deserve it 100%. And it's also the story of like, you know, you may think you're better than us in your big city, but back, you know, in the rural parts of America is where we really take care of business, like, you know, like men. Here, we don't worry about litigation <laughs> and, you know, the law and all this. We we take matters into our own hands. Put Put your dukes up. Put your hair up and square up, as they say. Uh, and that's the, that's the beauty of him having so much money now, because he could just destroy the restaurant in that fight. And then, yeah, he just hands people uh, $20,000 and goes like, hey, sorry for the damage. That's the dream. So the aforementioned night of partying with John McEnroe is covered on the TMZ at Inside Affair. I'm just going to call it TMZ. Uh, they... <laughs> They cover it, say that, you know, this Deeds character is becoming a bit of an embarrassment and disgrace to the the uh, empire at hand. Uh, this, of course, is getting a, a knot in Peter Gallagher's panties, and he's getting very uh, a bee in his bonnet, I guess would be a more politically correct term. Uh, Did you appreciate, Alex, that uh, the way they capture this is because uh, uh, when our writer has a secret camera uh, between her boobs. And as one does, I don't know if you remember it. <laughs> I don't know if you remember our, our small debate when we did uh, Never Being Kissed, where Drew Barrymore also has a camera uh, hidden somewhere in her body, but the way that the footage of that camera works, it doesn't make sense when you see it. I really <laughs> appreciate it that the filmmakers put some thought here, and when you see the footage that goes on TMZ, it does look like footage that would have been recorded from Winona Ryder's chest level. The, the framing, the distance that, the, the, that she has from Adam Sandler, it's, they put some thought into this. I love it. So, 
it is the next morning, and after this news uh, piece breaks, uh, we learn that it's actually the day of the funeral of Deeds' uncle who passed away, and they weren't even going to tell him. I think it was um, uh, John Totoro. Emilio let slip that today was his funeral, and he said, well, I want to go. So it is, you know, the funeral proceedings, and then my note just says, what the fuck, Al Sharpton. They actually got <laughs> Al Sharpton to come in and do the the uh, eulogy for this, and that was Completely unexpected and random, but uh, a breath of fresh air and um, one of the more <laughs> random cameos I can think of and uh, contrarians for some time. Certainly more random than uh, the tennis player whose name I've already forgotten. John McEnroe. Uh, this is where we start to see kind of the de-evolution or the descent of Peter Gallagher's character. We find out his intentions are not good. Essentially, he wants to get all the shares from Adam Sandler. And I think then he's going to monopolize the company, sell every like part of it, have everyone fired and then just reap the benefits, like all the money for himself. That That's kind of it in a nutshell, right? Yeah, it, he's just uh, current modern America where Sandler <laughs> is it's the, the model of the 50s. He is currently Lysol. <laughs> <laughs> or no, wait, they're trying to help. What's one of the companies that's like fucking everybody right now? I don't Facebook? know. Facebook? I don't know. There's plenty, yeah. I don't know, but Sandler wants Medicare for all. By the time of the movie ends, Sandler has has uh, instated socialism in uh, New York. He's got his Bernie 2024 sticker on. Yes. That's actually uh, one of the kids that you see, like uh, one of the kids he gives money to is actually a young AOC. And like the the outtake is him telling her socialized medicine. <laughs> Whoopity do. Uh, so Deeds is becoming more comfortable. He likes Winona. He's kind of settling into his life there. He likes uh, Pam, I should say. He likes who he's been spending time with. We get um, a montage set to fucking you two of them just gallivanting around New York City. Really, did the they, only uh, did you two uh, did you two record? The sweetest thing specifically for this movie? Because I remember when that single came out. I would have to believe Sandler called up Bono. You know, he's got a, his, a direct line to fucking Bono's bat phone. And Bono answered it and said, <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> that joke's so old it could vote. Uh, yeah, one of the only interesting bits of trivia that I found doing research is, did you see the shot? It was actually a really good shot of um, them riding their bikes down the stairs together. Yeah. Did you, know, did you notice that shot? I mean, I, I remember thinking that I hoped that it was them riding the bikes. It was because Winona Ryder broke her arm while shooting that scene. She fell off during one of the takes and Jesus. broke her arm. Yeah. Putting the work in for the craft. I don't want to hear shit about Vic Morrow. Winona Ryder is the real one that's fucking putting down work. <laughs> that's pretty impressive because she, she has some major stunts later in the movie. And who would have thought that he would get hurt just riding her bike? Uh, but it makes sense because <laughs> her stand in is... for the rest of the scenes was just Alan covert and drag. <laughs> uh, it makes sense that she would hurt herself on the way to one of her best scenes in the movie. Uh, I, I don't know that I would call this one her Oscar clip, but this is kind of like the warm up to the Oscar clip where she expertly manages to tell Sandler a little bit about herself, the, the, her true self while still Pretending to be someone else. Yeah, she makes up the fictional town of Winchesterton Fieldville, Iowa. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, she because she's pretending to be a school nurse, but then she tells Sandler that when she was a little girl, she wanted to be a reporter, and she she was walking around with her uh, with her tape recorder, interviewing people and getting bullied for it and whatever. And you can tell that that is the truth. And and Sandler's giving her encouraging advice and says, "Well, you know, you can still be a reporter someday and whatever." And it's which is the kind of thing that people with forty million dollars will tell you. It's like, oh yeah, all your <laughs> dreams can come true. Look at mine. Uh, but it's. It's so good. This is when, uh, when really the 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 Winona Ryder casting starts paying off. Before it was just like, okay, so she's incredibly attractive, and she comes with this this really, like I said, the the American sweetheart baggage into the movie that works. But here is just when when she starts really working uh, her craft. I I was just entranced by how she managed to turn what is the standard Adam Sandler movie, and suddenly look, there's acting in it. Yeah, and um, during her like on the fly creation of her origin story, she makes one of several references throughout the movie to To Kill a Mockingbird, and yes. you know it's it's never really explained why, and that's like the for me that's the earwig of this movie, like it burrowed <laughs> into my brain, and I can't figure out why, and uh, it's probably gonna stay with me for a while, but that was just kind of a really. Uh, interesting bit of writing. And, you know, one could believe that Winona just kind of injected that on her own. Yeah, I wonder where it came from. I, I, I would love to know, is it, who is it to kill a Mockingbird fan in the, in, among the people that made this movie? I mean, maybe it's all of them, but somebody has to have said, like, hey, what if the, if we kept this joke going? <laughs> because it, it, it happens later in the movie again. And it's, it's just, you know, was it the director, the screenwriter, was it Sandler, was it Winona? I don't know, but the fact that it's there, and the fact that you noticed, Alex, because I wasn't even going to bring it up, but <laughs> I, I didn't want to get too cultured here on our Mr. Deeds episode. Uh, but but now, well, now we brought up Harper Lee's work, and, and I guess it's going to stay. The plot begins to thicken as Alan Covert goes to Peter Gallagher and explains that, uh, you know, this girl that he's talking about being in love with isn't really, you know, who... Uh, he thinks she is, and you know we do get some um, man ass comedy, which is, you know, when when you feel there's been a lull in the laughs, you throw some man ass comedy in there, and then you know the the audience will eat it up. You know, we had different experiences here, Alex, because to me it was non glamorous, not ass. I didn't know who this guy was, so <laughs> to me it was just just random regular person uh, man ass. This but- was not Hugh Jackman in X Men Origins Wolverine man ass. Right, where you feel that you've you've uncovered something, you know, achievement unlocked. <laughs> Hugh Jackman ass. Here yeah, was just some random dude. It was still funny. It still made me laugh. I recognized the the device. I was like, oh, you're trying to get my attention, soapy man ass. Uh, <laughs> but to you, I mean, was it just? Have you seen this guy's ass before? You know him as an actor. Uh, it was more the line of Peter Gallagher is like, I'm willing to help you if you start if you stop soaping your ass. Just getting. <laughs> Just like I need a Mr. Deeds action figure that has one line of dialogue, like a Peter Gallagher that just says, "Stop soaping your ass." There is something. The scene just goes to the next level once he verbalizes what's happening. <laughs> it's one thing when you see it, but then when you hear somebody utter the words "soaping your ass," it just makes it coalesce into just even even stronger comedy. Uh, you know, I I don't want to go over uh, like skip. The, the greatest cameo in this movie, which is also the most expected cameo, is the one that you, you know is coming, uh, which is the, the Rob Schneider cameo, uh, which happens a little earlier 
because the the way that Winona and and Sandler's date ends is that they there's a fire in a building and Sandler has to go rescue this lady that won't live without a cat. So he starts throwing the cats out the window. It's a it's a major set piece, and the the joke is that she has seven cats, so he has to throw seven cats out. Winona catches the first one. Somewhere among the seven cats, one of them is caught by Rob Schneider, who's just it's the one time that he shows up in the movie, other than at the very end. It's just, you know, it doesn't feel like an Adam Sandler movie until you get the Rob Schneider cameo. Yeah, I mean, it's that'd be like a cheeseburger without the cheese. You gotta have a, you gotta have it to be complete. Um, it's the glue that holds us together. Yes. Running parallel to this, uh, there's a Pam and Deeds go on a day date. He actually found, uh, unbeknownst to her, uh, let's see if I can get the city name right again. Winchesterton Fieldville, Iowa turns out to be a real city and he takes Winona Ryder there for a day and once more she's able to successfully bullshit her way through the day. Uh, this all leads to the realization that he's in love with her and he's going to ask the big question and he sets up to do so. I guess I didn't catch. I probably should know this. Was that Madison Square Garden? And I imagine it would be. The Barclays Center wouldn't have been open then. So anyway. Where the next oh, play? I thought it was just like the some high school gym or something. I didn't realize <laughs> that it was a <laughs> an actual. I don't know if they setup. actually filmed it at Madison Square Garden. I just think the implication was supposed to be there. Um, Deeds through this, he sets up this dinner. He's going to propose. Peter Gallagher comes. Uh, he's got Alan Covert again, who's in a costume for some reason, like he's uh, an undercover, you know, or he's uh, an insurgent trying to hide. He's like a fucking spy working the uh, the audio and video video deck of the arena. He didn't realize that the only person who would recognize him would be you. Everybody <laughs> else is like me. We didn't know who he was. If you hadn't called attention to him with the crazy costumes, I would have thought that he was a different actor. So he plays the news story that reveals that this whole time Pam has actually been babe and she's been an undercover reporter and worked on this to... Um, get more information about deeds and expose his story and whatnot. Obviously this leaves uh, Adam Sandler crestfallen. We get a teary eyed uh, Winona Ryder here explaining that she came to tell him and you know, it, it's a, a visual and a, a trope that we're familiar to, but it doesn't make it any less devastating. I, I mean, it may be familiar, but it really, when you have top talent performing it, then it doesn't matter. That's fair. So at this point, he just wants to leave. He wants to get back to Mandrake Falls, resume his normal life. He ends up donating his $40 billion to uh, the United Negro College Fund, which just kind of came out of nowhere. I think it's because he asks, what's a good charity? And they say this. It's a real thing. That's a, a real fund. So it's not like at, at one point you, you kind of worry sometimes like things like that. They just play up just for like chuckles. But. At least with this, they did their research, and it was an actual uh, fund that they were referencing. Right. He donated it to an actual worthwhile cause. It's not like he just said, hey, just give it to the Libertarian Party or something. It just <laughs> – you see the money go to to an actual black dude that opens the – you know, sees the check and passes out. I was like, oh, well, that's good. Uh, there is – you know, you're talking about Winona Ryder tears, and we kind of skipped over the, the real tears because here she's a little teary-eyed when she – when she's exposed, but before, uh, at the end of, uh, I, I guess her trip to, to her fake hometown, she has like a full on breakdown when she almost confesses to Sandler 
and then she can't really bring herself to do it. And then he reads her a card that he wrote for her. And, she, you know, they have a really sweet scene. And then he walks away really happy because they finally kissed. And when our writer just goes inside her apartment complex, it just full on starts bawling and slides down the wall. It's, it's We suddenly get dramatic Winona, uh, which we hadn't seen up till up till now in the movie. It's it just I forgot about yeah her breakdown. I think that under any other circumstance with different set of actors, it would have felt really weird. <laughs> but here, it just it just felt necessary. It really sold you, and it was really cool. I was thinking about it uh, as this scene was happening, and she was being really sweet to Adam Sandler's character. And like once again, this makes so much sense, right? This is when a writer does the the girl that fell in love with with Edward Scissorhands. You know, she has a thing for for these sort of characters that are just naive and that don't realize how cruel the world can be. She knows by now how, how many forces are against uh, uh, Adam Sandler and he doesn't. And, you know, her heart just breaks for him. I think that in a way she's the hero of the movie. She's the one that's kind of telling us, uh, you know, you should be nicer to this guy. You should be nicer to Adam Sandler. So he heads back to Mandrake Falls. Of course, we get some Dave Matthews playing over. My note says Dave Matthews because, of course, did you ever see I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry? Uh, no, unfortunately, another blind spot. <laughs> he actually has a cameo in it because I guess he's buddies with Sandler or whatnot. So was not surprised to to hear some uh, DMB. It's, it's the other phone. You know, yes. when, he, when Bono doesn't answer, then DMB. <laughs> Little baby. Uh, <laughs> so Babe goes to Mandrake Falls to find him she's gonna track him down she's greeted by um a big burly lady that works with uh sandler at the pizza shop we kind of she's a reoccurring character throughout the movie um and she's very protective of deeds and his life so she basically makes the caveat like we'll have a fight and if you can get past me i'll take you to where he is and you know it's it's um I've used the word jarring a few times already on this episode, but it's definitely jarring to see Winona Ryder in a, in a combat scene. I don't think it's happened before uh, that I can think of. And, you know, I've seen her in, in Alien Resurrection, and this was just more of a pulse-pounding uh, set piece because she's so tiny, and and the lady she's fighting against, I mean, she addresses it. You know, she is She's much bigger. She's at least twice her size, and she looks like she can fight. Winona Ryder doesn't look like she can fight. So when halfway through this sequence she does a jump kick to rival Chun Li's in Street Fighter, <laughs> it, it was just... I was in heaven. I I'm, I consider myself a Winona Ryder fan, and I've never seen her do the things that she does in this movie. So eventually she prevails in this fight and gets the address of where to go for Adam Sandler. And as I mentioned to earlier, the, the rust and bone scene plays out here. And I will take credit and say we are almost guaranteed to be the only podcast that's ever compared Mr. Deeds with rust and bone. Uh, so you can take that to the bank. Uh, she falls through some ice and this is like you said, the, the, you know, if you introduce a gun in the first act, you got to use it. And this is where the, the Blackfoot comes back into play. Yeah. I, I did not realize that I should have, but I did not realize that the Blackfoot also gave Sandler super strength, but it's just, it, it's, it's amazing. It, the, the amount of, uh, of action set pieces in this movie, we're like on our fourth one, I think. And it's just Winona, this is a comedy. This is not the kind of thing that you're expecting to see. An Adam Sandler comedy, even. Uh, she goes under the ice. And that visual, that that shot of Winona's face kind of through the ice as she's drowning, that is not something that you would think would belong in in a comedy, an Adam Sandler movie. But it, it does. It works. And it really preps you for what comes next, which is Sandler 
using the the superpower of the black foot to break through the ice and get her to hold on to that foot so that he can pull her out. Uh, yeah, if they had used that shot of uh, screaming Winona Ryder trapped under ice for the marketing material, I think uh, people might have gone into this with a different expectation. Dude, it should have been the poster. Or maybe it's the Criterion <laughs> cover when they finally oh, get God, the release. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> with just a very cold, sterile font of like just white lowercase letters, <laughs> deeds. And then you just got... <laughs> Screaming Winona Ryder trapped under trapped under ice. Um, so he does rescue her. She gets out. She proclaims, uh, you know, how sorry she is, and that you know this. She feels bad for what happened, but he tells her, you know, I don't know who you are, so we can't do this. And um, eventually, you know, all the 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 stars align and the pieces come into play as Deeds becomes aware of what um, Peter Gallagher is going to be doing. He arranges a shareholders meeting where he's going to have everyone sell to him. And then from there, you know, he's going to, uh, what is it? Blake empires. He's just going to strip mine it and take all the money, lay everybody off. 50,000 people are going to lose their jobs. Um, deeds comes back to New York and basically does, um, I guess the, whatever the, uh, Jerry Maguire, the who's with me speech, if that had gone well, (laughs) That's what this is, is he comes and explains, you know, hey, we don't just need to worry about money. We got to worry about, you know, people with jobs and taking care of each other, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it is very much like uh, the climatic scene in Accepted, which made me think Accepted pretty much aped the entire concept from this scene. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, Robin Williams and... Uh... Uh, Dead Poet Society. This was the Oh Captain, My Captain moment. Uh, there you go. Maybe if you want to go further and get even classier. Maybe this is the I am Spartacus moment, or just basically uh, he gives a uh, Sandler inspires everybody else to kind of be like him. Uh, all these greedy uh, city fat cats that used to look down on him suddenly he he makes them think about their childhood and and just really. Uh, get in touch with their feelings, with their humanity one more time. Uh, it's, it's definitely his Oscar clip, but he oh, yeah. doesn't you know, completely take over the movie because the filmmakers wisely let Winona Ryder have the final save. She, she gets the final reveal, uh, which was... I like it because it was, it was good. It, I think that in a traditional comedy, even a traditional Sandler comedy, they would have gotten together after he rescued her from the ice. I think that that's the old way of doing things where he would just be uh, kind of naive enough to just kind of take her back after she says she's sorry and the movie wouldn't have even bothered giving her a full redemption. But here, no, he, she she actually gets to uh, frustrate, uh, ruin Peter Gallagher's uh, plan because it turns out that even with all the votes and, and with Sandler rallying all the people, Gallagher still has... 51% of the share, so he can still do whatever the fuck he wants. And then when our writer shows up and gives us the big uh, M. Night Shyamalan twist. Oh, yeah, because, you know, the rallying cry from Sandler's good morally, but still logistically, Peter Gallagher has the high ground. Uh, Winona Ryder comes in and drops the bombshell on us through her investigating and her research and through like the resources she's found. She learns that uh, Preston Blake had an illegitimate son as a result of an affair. And it turns out that is John Totoro, Emilio. So he is the, the heir to the Blake media empire. And his first move obviously is telling Peter Gallagher to pack his bags and hit the bricks. 
So, I mean, the one wholesome character throughout the whole movie is the one that's rewarded, which I think for a viewer is uh, one of the more satisfying parts of this conclusion. I, I love that he basically ends up being the, like you said, the purest person, the most, we're happy when he gets the money. And whereas before, I think a movie would vilify somebody with a foot fetish. Now here we celebrate a character with a foot fetish and we give him $40 million. So that's great. Uh, the movie also makes a decision, again, wisely, do not show what happened when the, that the black charity tried to cash a check for $40 million that they don't have anymore because that money went to John Turturro. <laughs> yeah, we kind of forgot about that. Um, so, yeah, we get the happy ending. Uh, Babe reconciles with Deeds. She explains, you know, her, professes her undying love, basically gives him the uh, Cliff Notes version of her life, her fears, her dreams, her aspirations, all that. The, the love is is real and it brings them together. And I guess for the adventure and the friends they made along the way, Emilio gives uh, deeds a billion dollars, which um, true to his naive fashion, he uses to buy everyone in uh, Mandrake falls, a, a red Corvette. And that's kind of what takes us out as uh, Pete Townsend's my love opened the door bellows over the, the speakers of my laptop. It's, it's a hell of a lineup for, uh, for end credits music, because then Counting Crows shows up with a, with a song I didn't even know existed, going down to New York Town. <laughs> it was playing, and, and I was like, that sounds like Adam Duritz. I don't know how that ties into Winona Ryder or Adam Sandler, but I felt necessary to say it because that's literally my my final note is going down to New York Town, Counting Crows. What the fuck? <laughs> well, I don't really think there's any better note to end Contrarian's Corner on than Counting Crows, What the Fuck? <laughs> I'm still very worried about this. What do you got in that pipe, hashish? You're paranoid. This guy is perfect for us. What if he wants us his shares? If I got Preston Blake to trust me with his company, I can get this moron to do the same. I mean, look at him. This is Major Tom to ground control. I'm stepping through the door. And I'm floating in a most peculiar way And the stars look very different today Oh, here am I sitting in a tin can That's right, Anderson. Far above the world Planet Earth is blue And there's nothing I can do all right, I am recording. I am recording as well for Real Talk for Mr. Deeds. This movie fucking sucks. I, uh, <laughs> this was a very hard watch for me. Uh, Julio had been texting me that he was surprised at how much he enjoyed it, so this will be an interesting discussion, but this was um, uh, a tumultuous beginning for Winona Ryder's <laughs> <laughs> starring summer uh i kind of understand you explain a little bit i think it is a good a good starting point because of where she was in her career at this point um but like with a lot of these happy madison movies and i've talked about this before um I, I, embarrassed is the wrong word I was about, you know, some people will say, oh, I felt embarrassed for them having to do this. And it's like, well, that's not the case because it, I'm sure they made a lot of money. I mean, this movie uh, with a budget of 50 million, its box office return was over 170 million. So it did OK. Um, but 
it's just, you know, watching this, it's just kind of like, why? And uh, I know why. Because it makes money. money. And because uh, there's a much bigger portion of the average movie going public that is not like me. That is the opposite of me that thinks it's fun to go see these movies in the theater. Uh, this was not in the theater. This was at home, and man, it was it was a rough watch for me. Um, I I wonder how much crossover Winona Ryder brought, because I would imagine, looking at her filmography, the the average Winona Ryder fan is not necessarily an Adam Sandler fan. So this might be this might have been a lot of people's first uh, Happy Madison production experience. Do you think? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe actually the, you know, the uh, intersection of Winona fans and Sandler fans is a lot bigger than I thought. But it well, it definitely laid the groundwork for what Happy Madison would become in terms of the, uh, you know, we what started all this was the the Telltale Sandler '90s saga franchise it wasn't a franchise but you know the adam sandler movies where he's the star and he does crazy shit the wedding singer would be the only real exception to that uh with of course drew barrymore uh but then it launched into the first happy madison deuce bigelow then little nicky joe dirt uh which joe dirt is amazing so no you'll hear nothing bad about me on that one um the animal mr deeds and then we kind of go from there the reason i you know this Winona thing is it kind of started the idea that these, you're going to have these same actors in all these movies, but you know, we're going to give you one. Uh, there will be that one marquee, a list actor that will be in one of these. And you know, it's your, it's your chance to see them being in a wacky comedy, like just going over these. Now I'm looking at, uh, anger management, which was Jack Nicholson. Uh-huh. Um, let's see here. Fucking click. I I detest that movie with a <laughs> intense burning passion. But that had David Hasselhoff and uh what's Kate Beckinsale. super hot yes. There, yeah. And Underworld. Yeah, there you go. Just going wait, Rain Over Me was the Happy Madison. What? <laughs> you you got hilarious, to see uh... <laughs> You got to see Don Cheadle doing wacky comedy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Punch Drunk Love, also a Happy Madison production. <laughs> you, you get my point, though, of saying like this Happy Madison, what deeds started was the trend of the regular suspects and all these, but every once in a while we'll throw in this actor you wouldn't expect to be in these, and it's your chance to see them in, you know, whatever the antithesis of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, I believe we've found it, and it's Happy Madison <laughs> to where... <laughs> We're going to throw big people, big name actors in these situations you don't expect them to be in, except this isn't cool. This is really just upsetting and uh, demoralizing. But again, like we've said, and like I said repeatedly when Sandler comes up, he did an interview on Letterman a few years ago that did a lot to make me understand his psyche. Uh, Because, you know, being young and dumb, like in college and stuff and being kind of ignorant to a lot of situations. I always thought that he thought the movies he was making were good. This interview on Letterman, he basically just conceded. I know what I'm making is not art, but it's something for my kids. And it also makes me unreal amounts of money. And so as long as people are going to, you know, come back to the trough, why not? Um, And again, uh, to compare it to the Marvel cinematic universe, I don't have the same passionate views towards this because these aren't movies that have put a monopoly on the market, any sense of anything. And they're all, 
usually less than an hour and a half. So as much as I, you know, we'll discuss this movie a bit further here in a moment. Uh, at no point do I watch these and like really get fired up to go in some huge, massive debate about it. I, I don't think the passion <laughs> that was there for Endgame is going to be here. That's how they get you, Alex, because, you know, you underestimate the cumulative effect that they have on society because <laughs> you're like, oh, they're not really taking over like the MCU is taking over. But but they are burrowing. They're, they're burrowing into American consciousness. Uh, um, I mean, Sandler, they, Sandler is a big uh, Netflix player now. I was about to say they've uh, they've gone away from the last one that was actually released in theaters of Happy Madison was in 2015. Um, so. Man, have been ahead of the curve on that one. Um, let's see. So before we move forward into what you got for us, if you could, Julio, if you could guess what the highest grossing Happy Madison movie is, what would you say it would be? Uh, fuck, it's going to be something like Grown Ups 2, probably. <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it has. Oh, wait, no, 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 no hold on. It was, it was Grown Up 1. Grown Ups 1. But it's, it was well, it's still only by like 30 million. It's the Avengers of, of the Happy <laughs> Madison universe. Everybody's there. And Rob Schneider is not there just for a cameo. I think he's just he has a full on character, right? Uh, David Spade, Kevin James, uh, Chris Rock. Fucking Chris Rock. I mean, you would think he'd be above this shit, but. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he is not. And neither am I because I've watched both of them. So. Well, here you go. Who's and, the the highest rated via Rotten Tomatoes, the highest rated Happy Madison uh, movie. I'm not going to include Funny People or Rain Over Me because those are in a different category. Um, 50 First Dates at 45% is the highest rated Happy Madison movie on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. But for today, we are discussing the 22% Mr. Deeds. Now, being that it's 22%, it does mean that there were some people that liked it. Julio included but what were the critics saying about this okay let's let's make something clear first i do not like it the way that these critics like it <laughs> this, <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't have given it uh, a red tomato on the tomato meter i would have given winner writer's performance a red tomato everything else is no but some people felt much more strongly on the positive side like uh, eric childress from efilmcritic.com who says Fans can rejoice that Mr. Deeds is a close third behind Happy Gilmore and The Wedding Singer on Sandler's list of quality credits. Alex, God. I'm guessing you disagree with that ranking. That's a that's a hard pass. Did he say Happy Gilmore? I heard The Wedding Singer. Was Happy Gilmore the first one? Yes. Yeah, no. Would you even have those as your top two Sandler uh, movies? Well, he, herein lies a problem. Uh, when I say favorite Adam Sandler movies, I always put Airheads up there at the top, and a lot of people will retort that's not an Adam Sandler movie. It's an ensemble cast that he happens to be a part of. Uh, so I guess that disqualifies me. But yeah, Wedding Singer is the the, the queen bee that of the the prototypical. You know, uh, I'm doing massive like arm gestures right now of the prototypical Adam Sandler movie. Wedding Singer is the top dog, then Happy Gilmore, and then, uh, I don't know, we'd have to have a discussion, but I know I would not mention Mr. Deeds in the same breath as those. <laughs> maybe what we need to do, not right now, maybe not ever really, but uh, <laughs> is just do a, a ranking of the Adam Sandler co-stars, you know, those those one-offs, not, not the people that are 
regulars uh, in his movies, but people like Winona Ryder, like Jack Nicholson, uh, the people that came in just that were the gimmick for that one movie, and just ranked them from the the person that came out the best to the person that came out the worst. Uh, Jennifer would, Aniston. I mean, Jennifer Aniston is a repeat offender, though. I think she's oh, she's she? on movie number three with him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she did uh, a movie with him for Netflix just last year. I think we all know who would come out ahead of everybody, and that would be Selma Hayek for her role in <laughs> Here Comes the Boom. And I would say uh, Contrarian's uh, Embry winner, Henry Winkler, for his role in Here Comes the Boom. But like you said, he's a repeat offender, so he'd not be eligible for that. Yeah, the water boy. At least one more. Click. Is he in Click? I don't remember. He's Adam Sandler's dad in that movie. Remember they get the really emotional scene where he sees him for the last time? Fuck that movie. Oh, yeah, it's Winkler, right? You know, this might not be the time to make this confession, but I actually, I don't mind Click. <laughs> but also, I haven't seen it in a long time. But I, I remember watching it in theaters I'm and going... I'm just shaking my head in disgust right now. <laughs> it is, it is more imaginative than the average Adam Sandler vehicle. So I think that's why it got on my good side. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a good movie. I just, I remember liking it fine. I mean, not, not hating it rather. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's Moving not go on. down that path. <laughs> yes. Uh, John Oliver from Catrillion.com says, it's not his best, but it is far from his worst. It's a, I think there's a huge gray uh, area. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Todd Anthony from South Florida, Sun Sentinel, says, It's still Adam Sandler, and it's not little Nicky. And for many of us, that's good enough. Uh, fair. I mean, fair enough. I've never seen little Nicky, but I never wanted to. So, Have you ever played the Game Boy Color video game based on little Nicky? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, man. If you need pointless <laughs> video game knowledge, that's me right here. I Would I play a little Nicky video game? I might if it gets good reviews, but not having any sort of emotional connection to the movie. I, I don't think that I would just do it on a whim. No, I, I would not play it, nor have I ever played it. I just know of it because I remember one time it was like a, I would have been listening to a podcast or something like that. And they were just talking about like, what the fuck video games. And that's definitely one of them. I do. Uh, I'm sure you remember that that era. Uh, fuck, it was the 80s to the early 2000s of pretty much any movie that came out that was notable would get a video game release and the box art was usually just like a slight alteration of the movie poster and typically they would have nothing to do with the movie like i know like uh, the wayne's world video game was like a side scrolling scrolling like platformer it was fucking ridiculous anyway not to derail the uh the deeds conversation <laughs> god no please no <laughs> uh Edward Johnson Odd from Nouveau News Weekly says, Adam Sandler is an extremely likable man who knows his limitations and works within them. It's also a fair statement, I believe. I mean, we've, it's something that we've said time and again in this show. Uh, and then, like we did in Contrarian's Corner, here for Real Talk, we have also uh, another friend of the podcast. You heard him last speaking about how much he didn't care for Blue Velvet, so now he's gonna tell us how much he cares for Mr. Deeds. Contrarians, this is Jordan right after watching Mr. Deeds for what's probably the 20th time in my life that I've watched it. I haven't seen it in probably a decade though. It's as good as I remember it being. Um, I, I loved this movie when I was younger 
and it's pretty funny. The jokes land about 80% of the time. It's very early 2000s humor, and I, I still really enjoy the movie. Winona Ryder, in the whole first half of this, while you're watching her character, you're just kind of wondering why she's in it. It could be any early 2000s nobody actor playing her part, and the, the character's almost a parody of poorly written female characters. But Winona, halfway through, Every, everything that she gets, her character gets, even the, the dialogue gets a little bit better and she gets to act a little bit more. And it's actually a really good performance. I think she does great, which is what is expected. Mr. Deeds as a movie is kind of what I signify as the end of Adam Sandler doing good things for a while. After this, I think he did Don't Mess With the Zohan a few years right after, which I enjoy, but it's a, not a great movie. But I enjoy Mr. Deeds. I really like it. Winona's great in it. Um, Winona Virus, 2020, summer. Off to a great start. Uh, Mr. Deeds is a good movie. And I'm very glad that I watched it and that y'all had a chance to check it out and cover it in this episode. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I there's one thing that he has in common with Ashley's comments from the first segment, which is that they both think that Winona Ryder shines in this movie, or at least that it's not her fault whenever the movie goes wrong. That she's uh, Ashley said better than the movie, and and Jordan said that she's great in the movie, and I feel similarly in the sense that I I think that whenever the movie worked for me, it worked for because of Winona Ryder. If we're making that fictional list that we we're talking about, where we rank. The guest stars. I I would put Winona Ryder near the top, uh, given my limited experience of Adam Sandler uh, movies, uh, because I think that she is actually funny, and I never felt like she was debasing herself <laughs> for the sake of the comedy in this movie. Like I feel like when I see Steve Buscemi doing the bits that he does in Adam Sandler movies, that's where I feel awkward. You know, I feel like, oh come on, man, I, but. Winona Ryder never gets to that level. Would you agree with that? The, the closest is like the fight scene with the big butch woman. Yes, but even then, that's kind of considering what other actors are putting themselves through. <laughs> it that that scene can coast off of the novelty of seeing Winona Ryder in a fight scene, so it's not really something that makes it too bad. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't. I, and I was texting Jordan after he sent that voice clip. And because he was asking me what how I felt, and I and I didn't want to give too much away, but I told him I mean it's I I love another writer in it. The rest of the movie not so much, but that's because I'm not I don't have that connection that he has to Adam Sandler that you kind of do. I mean you like Adam Sandler movies more than I do as far as the the early stuff, right? I to me even something like <laughs> The Wedding Singer. I mean I'll think it's I like it, but I don't Whoa, have. Let's let's watch our tone when speaking <laughs> about The Wedding Singer. I it's watched okay. that. Movie. That was actually no. <laughs> okay, so I actually watched that the other day. It was going to be one of my plugs, but it's as good a time as any to put it in here. I was fucking crying by the end of it when he like comes out on the airplane and he's playing for that. That's so. Uh, well, in a bigger part of that, that's it's something that's not here and is lacking from almost all of Sandler's modern movies. The chemistry he has with Drew Barrymore in that movie is fucking unreal. Uh, I've yes. never seen I've never seen Fifty First Dates or Twisted or whatever the movie the other one they made was Blended. Uh, I, I don't know if the chemistry is quite there based on things I've heard. It's not. Um, I think The Wedding Singer is 
the perfect use of the, what would become Happy Madison. It's based in a goofy time period just so they can have like funny clothes and, uh, you know, make cultural references. It's got the whole cast in there of characters, Alan Covert, uh, Dante, C. Buscemi, uh, you know, you name it. Christine Taylor, is that her name? Um, anyway, that is, it all works on a level that what they try to do here doesn't. Now, to your point, and not to de- I could potentially be deviating from what you were kind of getting at, and something here. I don't agree with what Jordan said. Uh, complete sidebar, Winona Virus 2020, brilliant. Uh, we're definitely <laughs> going to steal that and use it for the duration of the summer. I really feel, based on the inflection in his voice, that and because he is younger than us, uh, maybe like 10 years, eight years, something like that. He likely relates to Mr. Deeds the way I do to Happy Gilmore in that, like, I would have probably we we would have been respectively the same age when these movies came out. And so it, it's really funny that Sandler's been doing this so long. There's different different generations that relate to different time periods of him. But um, so I can kind of appreciate what he's saying there just based on the age of it all. Because like I said, at this point, I was done with Sandler movies. I remember watching Big Daddy. I was 12, I think. And I was just like, uh, this isn't really good. And it's kind of not to say that I had some like refined palate at 12 years old, but I think I was more responsive at that point to things like Mission Impossible 2 or, you know, movies similar to that. So by the time this came out and I was 15, like I said, um, this would have been the point in my life where I thought movies like Natural Born Killers were good. And I was really into that kind of stuff. So. Uh, you yeah, were making seeing, a different kind of mistake. Yes, exactly. So seeing something like this, uh, I'm not surprised I haven't seen it. Because if I wasn't going to see it when it came out, nothing has, like, all that's happened since I've gotten older and wiser, allegedly, is uh, getting gotten further away from the idea of wanting to watch movies like this. Like, the only Happy Madison movies that I've seen recently were ones that, you know, we would have screened uh, back in the day or... Um, we did for the podcast. I mean, I have seen the occasional ones here and there that I didn't realize were Happy Madison. Uh, the House Bunny is apparently Happy Madison, and we've talked about that on here before. Uh, like I mentioned, Funny People. But obviously, Sandler and the Happy Madison way was arguably at a much more dignified place with Mr. Deeds. It, obviously, things <laughs> fell bad. Uh, like... Listen to this 2011 lineup from Happy Madison. Just go with it. That was the Jennifer Aniston one. Zookeeper. That's the movie where Kevin James can talk to animals. Uh, Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star, which is at this point uh, heavily regarded as one of the worst movies ever made. And then they took us out of 2011 with Jack and Jill, which uh, <laughs> I've never seen. Have you seen Jack and Jill? No, but I know Al Pacino is playing the Winona Ryder role in that one. Yes. So I'm realizing as we're talking about this that I was not super psyched with Mr. Deeds, but I'm realizing now that I would definitely pick this over so many of the other movies that were to come. Uh, It just got Elizabeth Town in real time. (laughs) It did. Uh, But the star of the show, obviously, uh, is Winona Ryder. I think... um, We'll go ahead and start with her because it's already been discussed by Jordan and uh, Ashley and uh, yourself. Yeah, I mean, I have in my notes, this is not for Winona Ryder, uh, just because 
there are parts of it that seem like to say it's not in her wheelhouse would be uh, unfair because that's not what I'm trying to say because she can pretty much do whatever she wants. It just doesn't seem like her skill set is meant for things like this. And to, and to be like fair and honest, that's a very short list because the amount of people that can pull off something like this is very minimal. It's uh, she's just so naturally talented that she can just coast off how good she is effortlessly. And she's so um, she doesn't steal the spotlight. The spotlight just likes to be on her. Any scene she's in, you can't take your eyes off of her. And that's that's uh, I think that's a, a theme that we're going to be talking about a lot throughout the summer. And uh, it I enjoy starting here because there's no place to go but up. And um, <laughs> oh, trust me, <laughs> from what I've heard of uh, Los Souls, uh, we might still have a, a couple steps down. I don't know, man. Um, Bad guy Peter Gallagher. I don't know. <laughs> Did you? I mean, this is sort of related to the Winona thing too. Because do you feel the same way about Peter Gallagher in this movie? That maybe this was not a movie for him. Um. Yeah. I mean, he's not bad. It's just like it. Just it's square peg, round hole. It seems like you're trying to make something out of something that's not there. See, that's funny because I don't know that I disagree with you, but the I I was able to enjoy, I guess, both those performances, Gallagher's and Ryder's, independent of how they felt regarding the rest of the movie. I, I could totally see their their style of comedy. I, I mean, I even mentioned it in the Trader's Corner. It's more naturalistic, and, uh, but that's why I liked it. I think that I... I they actually made me laugh in a way that all the other wacky stuff that's going on didn't. Uh, so Peter Gallagher is just so low key being the bad guy here compared to you know the, what's the name of the guy that keeps wearing disguises throughout the movie, right? That's Alan Covert. Yeah, so that guy he is he's the Adam Sandler bad guy the way that you would expect it, you know, over the top and silly and making voices and making faces and then peter gallagher he's at this point in the context of the movie he's more like a bond villain and he's just playing it so casual and so so he he's pulling back and and we know that it's the same thing where she's not out there really like making a whole lot of faces and going over the top to get the laughs and i it just worked so well for me uh i can i can see it and easily acknowledge that that's in the big context of the movie, it feels out of place because everybody else in the cast is just really hamming it up. Fucking John Torturo is just, I don't know. He's doing his version of Antonia Banderas and I don't know that it worked for me, but, no. but we're not a writer. Dude, that sequence where they go visit her hometown in quotation marks. I actually Awful. rewinded it a couple times and I posted on Instagram, uh, just a clip when Adam Sandler is, uh, reintroducing her to a whole bunch of people that she's never met before and he's like look it's her she's back and then she finally steps from uh, steps up from behind him and she kind of smiles and he goes like ah it's me hi everybody dude that's her delivery and it's just her physicality through that whole sequence it's just so funny uh but it doesn't feel of a piece with the rest of the movie i agree <laughs> uh i don't know i i, I think it's it's a you said it, and I said it. It's a, a good place to start the summer of Winona because I imagine if you were making the Winona Ryder biopic, this would be the opening scene, just her in the uh, on the set of Mr. Deeds, 
and we're going to catch up to how she got here, but also we're going to see the story moving forward of how she went after Mr. Deeds, and she was making movies that were just, they're so poorly regarded that they're even harder to get for, for streaming, which is one of the reasons why they're not part of the lineup. Uh, but if you started the, the Winona biopic with her on the set of Mr. Deeds, and everybody's acting like a cartoon character, and she's kind of still being naturalistic, that'll be a pretty interesting opening for a potentially pretty interesting movie. So yeah, I, I like her. She's, she's definitely the the one thing that kept me going through the movie. If Winona Ryder hadn't been in it, or if she'd been doing uh, the cringy stuff that the other uh, members of the cast are doing, then I probably would have had a harder time. Something along the lines of what you seem to have had, which was a, you know, a, a, a worse experience. Yeah, I I feel like this is very similar to your experience watching No Holds Barred. I didn't stop it at any point, but like I was just, uh, God, that comparison is so not, damning. Not happy at any point. Hey, man, uh, I did look. Uh, Ready to Rumble is rated higher on Rotten Tomatoes than this, so at least uh, you know I can take <laughs> that away. Um, but uh, I I can appreciate your perspective on it, and I obviously respect your opinion. It's just. Uh, I can't really get behind much of that. I think um, there's just too much. Even if I was over the moon about Winona's performance in here, it's not enough for me to say that it makes this movie in in any way watchable for me. Um, I think probably the biggest reaction I had was the Al Sharpton cameo. Uh, (laughs) And then second to that, the JB Smoove. I I think he's hilarious. So when they introduced him, I was like, hell yeah. And then he didn't do anything in the movie. I was like, oh, well, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. Like on the positive side of things I could say, it's, it's just, it is kind of what it is. And again, like with all these, I'm obviously on the wrong side of the argument because it makes a lot more money. It made a lot more money than I will make in my lifetime. So there is that. There are the moments I, I don't really think Winona and Sandler have really any good chemistry, but there are the moments in it where, you know, and some of Sandler's brilliance shines through. Um, it would be about 20 years before we got to see all that come together for one brilliant performance. But you can watch almost any of his movies. You can watch and see that twinkle or whatnot of uh, his brilliance. Um, but. Mr. Deeds, I wasn't the only one that was really hard on it. It did receive three Razzie nominations, including Worst Actor, Worst Actress, and Worst Remake or Sequel. However... They they nominated Winona for Worst Actress? That's bullshit. I think you're blinded by her blonde (laughs) hotness, my friend. It's it's not good. Uh, Entirely possible. (laughs) Yeah, she is absolutely just breathtakingly gorgeous in this movie. Uh... So it was nominated for those three. It did win, however, a Kids Choice Award. Yeah, but, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't confuse. I wouldn't want to confuse. Uh, uh, I guess performance and writing, because I think that her performance is good within you know the, the what she's been given. I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, like I was saying there, uh, it did win a Kids Choice Award for favorite movie actor Adam Sandler. Imagine that. <laughs> Molding the next generation of Adam Sandler fans. Um, again, the trivia was pretty light on this. Uh, a couple interesting things. Michael Bain was considered to play Emilio, the butler, which would have been a hoot and a half. Uh, Jesus. Rob Lowe was considered to play the butler, which Rob Lowe, his value at this point would have been uh, low. This was... 
This, well, no, 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 because his, his kind of uh, resurgence was um, the West Wing, the sec- right? The well, in terms of like on a movie scale, um, uh, Austin Powers, the second Austin Powers, he right. played uh, young number two, and he was excellent in that. And then um, there was West Wing, and then kind of more of a lull, and then obviously um, Parks and Rec just completely gave him a fucking second run. Um, oh, yes, this was the one. I knew there was a big one. Kate Winslet was considered for the role of Babe Bennett. Wow. So they really made this movie for me. I mean, they didn't land uh, where they where they should have, but casting-wise, they were heading in the right direction. Well, from what I was reading, it sounds... I don't know if this was always in Happy Madison's hands because Sandler wasn't always like, he wasn't immediately cast as the lead. I imagine this might've been a movie that was in, uh, was kind of being hot potatoed around. Cause I, I was reading Ben Stiller and Daniel Stern, Gary Sinise and a few other people were originally like, uh, considered to play deeds. So it seems like this may have been bounced around a little bit before it actually landed with Happy Madison. And then they're like, we have someone for the job. Get me Sandler on the phone. Dude, Gary Sinise as Longfellow Deeds playing opposite Kate Winslet as as Babe. Oh, baby. That movie is just, I don't know. I don't even know if it would be a words bait, but it would be kind of a head scratcher. I, I can't picture Gary Sinise. I, I, I guess it wouldn't be this kind of comedy, but even then, I don't know. Um, it's, I haven't seen the original, your... so I don't know what the expectation is when you think of a remake of uh, of that kind of movie. It's your hometown. West Chinder- Westerton Fieldville, we're here, and then just fucking exasperated Kate Winslet. Oh my god! Yeah, the- <laughs> that, oh. that dude. Did you not laugh at anything when our writer did? This is like uh, our our duplex argument once again. We were uh, discussing really subpar movies where, in my opinion, the the female performance. It's much better than the movie, and and you are underwhelmed by it. But did you not laugh when she said when he revealed uh, that they were at that town, and she goes, "Oh shit," or something? It's just I don't know. I I mean, I watched it. Uh, <laughs> you didn't the, turn it off. The two, the only two points in the movie I can remember legitimately like finding a chuckle was uh, the thinner joke that I referenced earlier because that was just so randomly obscure, and then. Um, the scene where he just like mercilessly beats the shit out of Alan Covert. Like I, I just was laughing cause it was so uncomfortable. That was like American history X style. Like it was the silhouette of him just beating his unconscious body. I was like, what is going on? Um, Honestly, I wish they'd taken it further and just go with the curb stomp. Just all oh, the way. Jesus. Now bite the curb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there was something else. Oh, no, the the thing that's going to stick with me forever about this movie, I referenced in Contrarian's Corner. What they never paid off the constant references to Kill a Mockingbird. That that like is driving me insane. I was like, okay, is this going to like end with him giving her a copy of the book or like are they going to end like watching the movie together? Are they going to have a kid and it's going to be named Atticus? Nope. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Scout. Scout. There you go. <laughs> the dog's name would be Atticus. Yeah. I I don't know. It's it's it it feels like such a well, I was gonna say such subtle writing as far <laughs> as a, a way to tell you that the Winona Writer character I don't know has read a book, but 
but not really because her neighbor and the neighbor's dog are named uh, you know Atticus and Finch or Finch and Atticus. I don't remember, but it, it, so so it's not just that Winona has read the book, but also that her life is surrounded by by uh, To Kill a Mockingbird references. I don't know. It's it's really weird. It was. Uh, I'll be honest. I was not expecting a payoff. I was just kind of puzzled by it. Uh, but it would have been great if at the end of the movie they showed that I don't know the book was on her nightstand or or you know she had a little sister named Scout. I don't know. Or uh, it, like it the been... last shot was a fucking mockingbird or something like flying off into the cityscape. <laughs> yeah, that that stuck with me. Look. As much bitching as I'm doing and like as much as I have zero desire to ever revisit this movie again, hour and a half, I I can't be overly mad at it. It's not some movie that like offended me on some, you know, moral or profound level. It it's a movie that like these fucking Happy Madison movies knows its market and you have to respect that at least a little bit because they do not deviate from the script. They know their market and, you know, (laughs) More so, I think, than any studio, unless I'm massively blanking on something right now, you know exactly what you're in for going into one of these movies. And that's that becomes if you go to one of these movies and you're mad that you watched it, that's your fault. Obviously, we did this for a podcast because this isn't the type of movie I would just watch in my free time. Is there I'm trying to think, I guess maybe MCU, but even then you don't always know what you're in for. Like, um fucking which ones did i like black panther i was not expecting a lot of the um moral quandaries in that movie so yeah i can't even say that about mcu so i will say yes happy madison is the one you know what you're in for so if you watch this and you're somehow like surprised or shocked or grossed out or disappointed that's on you for not not doing your homework going in yeah unless you're a winona Ryder fan that had never watched a happy madison movie (laughs) and this was this is how you got there i wonder how many yeah uh, senior women were like, "Oh, that Winona Ryder is so sweet. Let's go see this movie." <laughs> ah, to be Alan fair, Covert's ass. There is <laughs> that's true, but but I was gonna say, to be fair, this is kind of tame as far as Sandler humor goes oh, yeah. with the gross out stuff and the offensive, potentially offensive stuff. You could conceivably they... market this as a family movie. Yeah, I mean, they do work over time to make him sweet and likable with the with the greeting cards and just how he's just so nice to everybody giving them money and just being very understanding of their problems and all that stuff so uh, he has some serious rage issues his answer is just beat people up for anything right but but you could argue that he never beats anybody that didn't have it coming oh, yeah, right yeah. he beats the alleged uh robber mugger and uh, then he beats well, he punches the the football player that's cussing in front of women, and then he beats the the pretentious rich people at the restaurant. So you're kind of always on his side, it, and it's played for laughs. We know our writers okay with it, so we're okay with it. There you go. Uh, you know, just kind of like closing down. I think that the final point is that as much as I like the writer here, I 100% agree that they don't have chemistry. I don't buy them as a couple. I buy them as you know, not to be too mean, but as a charity case where she feels bad for this guy that's kind of just so clueless. But I don't buy that she would actually 
take that to a romantic level. I think that and have um, to like just fight and fight and fight for his affection. Like that was another thing. I was just rolling my eyes by the end of how hard she has to work to win him back. I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I understand her feeling bad, and and suddenly has that turn where she doesn't want to screw him over anymore, but. That is one thing. Actually wanting to date him is a completely different one. And to me, I, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I never, I've never found the, the stereotypical Adam Sandler persona that, that charming. So to me, the idea of, oh, well, of course, most people would want to date this guy. That doesn't work yeah. for me. The, the movie has to work over time to convince me that that's, that's a thing that's going to happen. It's almost like portraying him as an absolute scumbag would work out in a movie. <laughs> Well, apparently somebody cracked the code eventually. It just took yeah, two Jewish brothers and 20 years for people to figure it out. Anyway, didn't mean to cut you off there. What were you saying about Winona? Uh, oh, just that I I buy that she would uh, feel bad about it. And that is 100% on her performance. You know, when she's... Uh, I, I actually thought it was kind of sweet when she's telling him because he says that he might stay right they're coming back from their third date or whatever and he's saying you know i'm thinking of staying here in new york the implication is that he's staying because of her and then she she just says look i just need to tell you something just go back don't let anybody hurt you or something that was that felt very heartfelt very sincere to me in a way that doesn't belong at all in this movie (laughs) but isolated it worked so Again, it's just an instance of when our writer, in my opinion, being better than the movie. I will uh, give credit where it's due. The um, the very common trend. I mean, I'd have to do some research to see if it's in every Sandler movie, but every one that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, every Sandler comedy has some allusion or direct reference to Bruce Springsteen, and uh, Winona gets that in this one. So I did pop for that. Um, yeah, I mean, any bring up Bruce, you're going to get points with me no matter what. This movie could have been fucking 120 days of Salo, but if they ended it with Heavy Heart playing over the credits, I would be like, yeah, it's all right. What was her reference? I don't remember. When she's telling him all about herself, and she's like, I grew up here, blah, 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 and she's like, I love Bruce Springsteen, I love this, I love that, and I was just like, hell yeah. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say it was when she was making up her stories, and she quoted some obscure Bruce Springsteen Oh, song. no, 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 yeah, it's not... It's not that subtle. It's usually a Bruce song plays or uh, like a Bruce T-shirt or an actual reference to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, there's not uh, the the Happy Madison universe is not known for its subtlety. So I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. Unless it has to do with uh, To Kill a Mockingbird references, in which case. God, fuck, fucking hell. <laughs> I'm going to be mowing the lawn after we finish this. And that's all I'm going to be able to think about. Like, why? Why? <laughs> Uh, all right, so final score. I, I, I mean, neither of us is recommending it, I gather. But no. mine is probably higher than yours. I'm giving it two stars out of five. I'd give it a D. It's not It's not like the, the sludge. It's not the bottom of the barrel, but it's not good. There's there. I could probably come up with at least five or six other Adam Sandler comedies that you should watch before you watch this. Uh, I, I don't know that I could come up with that many, but I've seen less than you have. That being said, Sandler is not the focus here. It is Winona Ryder. And I think, obviously, we're going to wait until this is all over to rank these performances. But I think it's a good starting point because it, this movie, if nothing else, highlights her highlights. It brings to not not literally her hair, but uh, <laughs> it it accents what she brings to the table as an actress. And I think that's 
just something that we're going to see unfold more and more as the summer goes on. So uh, two stars from Julio, a D from me. Uh, skip this one. So uh, I know you recited it at the beginning, but which one's next on tap? So our next one is uh, going back to the very beginnings somewhat her uh her first commercial success really uh and her first Tim Burton collaboration Beetlejuice from 1988 84% hell yeah uh man it's been forever since I've seen Beetlejuice but I was really into Beetlejuice when I was a little kid I was telling Julio off mic that I'd been going through all my old toys during quarantine getting them inventoried figuring out which ones I want to sell yada 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 I found my uh Beetlejuice collection the other day it's a small modest one but it just took me back to how much I love playing with those Beetlejuice figures as a kid and it's been a while since I've seen it um higher end of my Tim Burton rankings for sure so looking forward to it yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the first Winona Ryder movie I ever watched so I'm very excited it's been a while for me as well uh and it has got a hell of a cast I and it's it's good Tim Burton so th- this should be a very, very different episode <laughs> than the one we just oh, yeah. recorded. The um, incomparable vixen Gina Davis returning to the Contrarians. Yes. And uh, and is it our first Alec Baldwin? I think it is. It's also our first Robert Goulet. So there's that. <laughs> uh, Always a milestone for any podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of my top two or three favorite actresses ever Catherine O'Hara so any I'll watch anything with her so yeah definitely uh, excited about doing this but that is what is on the horizon winding down this episode winding down Mr. Deeds uh, we move into plugs as always uh, our perennial plugs the festive years who open and close our podcast with uh, last stand and summer of 99 respectively the festive years.com will satisfy any and all festive years needs uh, for all your Hans Rothgeeser needs Hans is the guy that did our logo uh, you can go to mildemonios.pe that's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S or you can contact him on Twitter at mildemonios or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com like I said he did our logo he does comics uh, he writes novels zombie novels uh, in Spanish uh, his last one Requiem por Lurin is, is out it's a bestseller uh, and he has two podcasts Nación Combi which is about Peruvian current affairs that's in Spanish again. Uh, it's in every podcatcher. And then he has Living in Peru. That's in English. It's available on iVox. It's about uh, immigrants to Peru. Uh, and then the latest member of the Contrarians family, Zoe Perez. She's taking care of uh, some of our social media, helping us with Instagram and other uh, production assistant stuff. So thank you, Hell Zoe, yeah. for your work. Uh, also, before we move on to plugs proper uh we should do our our live stream for the cure plug i'm gonna play you their their promo and then we will announce which movie we're doing during our our live stream spot my god can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer ladies and gentlemen the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure and this year we need your help more than ever Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. 
We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. So, Livestream for the Cure, our spot is on May 30th, that's a Saturday, at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Clear your calendars. Uh, much like he did last year. Pretty sure this is what happened last year as well. Good old Nicholas Haskins from uh, the Epic Film Guys sort of uh, stole our thunder and in his excitement already revealed on his Twitter feed uh, that which movie we're doing. Which doesn't matter because some of you are not on Twitter. So you're going to hear this for the first time. We are doing the Sharon Stone William Baldwin vehicle Sliver. God. Alex, have you seen Sliver before? No, but um, it is definitely a cover that I remember walking the aisles of. <laughs> we didn't have a blockbuster in the town I grew up in. We had the video connection, and uh, and then when I visit my cousins, it was PM video. But I definitely this is one of those that I remember. Um, there's like this one, zombie. And uh, like Ice Cream Man, there's like some that like I just remember staring at that were so, uh, I guess, titillating at the time. And yeah. Jade. Of course, Jade, there's one. Um, and then not for any sexual or uh, gory reason, but Frighteners with Michael J. Fox, because the cover was like a hologram. I just remember staring at it a lot as a little kid in the video store. Anyway, maybe we'll do Frighteners for the next live stream. Completely changing gears. Nah, man, we got to get with Sharon Stone returning to the live stream for the cure. We got to keep it all in the family. So, uh, William Baldwin. Um, I know it's a movie that is very sex heavy, and um, that's about it. It's a Sharon Stone movie, so I'm guessing it's pretty cheesy. I guess we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Uh, all I'll say is, uh, if if you got excited with the soapy man ass in Mister Deeds, just just hold on to something when we watch Sliver. Oh hell yeah, uh, Bill, Billy Baldwin bringing that thing. <laughs> also known as the Hot Baldwin, uh, <laughs> that's that's quite the crown. Uh, but yeah, we'll be doing Sliver. It's you may not be surprised to learn that it's rotten. So we'll be talking about it as if it was fresh. We'll be doing our thing with Nick. Yeah. Did she make a good movie besides Casino? Total Recall. Yeah, and I've I've never watched The Quick and the Dead, but uh, you know Sam Raimi, so it's it's a good chance it's good. And to be fair. Casino is not a good movie. It is an all-time great movie, and she is also <laughs> incredible in it. So I don't want it to make sound like I'm disparaging that movie. Yes, uh, I mean I think Basic Instinct is a good movie, but yeah, I've, for what it is, it's fun. I, I haven't seen it in forever, so you know. But but yeah, uh, we'll get to have fun with Sliver uh, during the live stream. Like I said, clear your calendars; it'll be great. I I think that I already ordered the the Blu-ray, so once again we will be kind of raffling the. A signed copy of the Blu-ray, signed by us, not by Sharon Stone, unfortunately. But still. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll be giving out our our notes that we take during when we're watching the movie. You know, Alex, I have maybe, I don't know, four or five pages left in this uh, notebook that I've been using for the contrarians. So I might just raffle my entire notebook worth of notes. I know yours was lost in a hotel room uh, <laughs> some time ago. But it's mine, true. I think it, it might be like the entire Contrarians run. So that's that's kind of a... I know. 
got the launch codes in there and everything. Yeah, yes. I might have to to you know go through it quickly just to make sure that there's no compromising information in there. But uh but yeah, I might just raffle the whole thing just for the fun of it. Uh but yeah, we'll we'll talk more about this as nothing, as, nothing that'll get you canceled. <laughs> we'll talk more about this as as it comes closer, but just make sure uh you're you're free on May 30th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And now let's just slide into our usual plug. So what do you have for me, Alex? Hell yeah, Martin Landau's in Sliver. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> um, let's see. I already talked about Wedding Singer. Incredible. Like It's one of those movies that I just rewatched uh, with my sister this week. Just killing time, and I forgot how, how good it is, and that rests solely on the performances in it. It's a movie that definitely could have fallen apart with uh, lesser parts, but I, I mean, I'm assuming you've seen The Goddamn Wedding Singer, but if you haven't, watch it. It's a great movie. It's I don't see how you can watch it and not just be filled with joy and optimism as it's over. Um, I got a few things, so I'm going to go through these quickly. I beat Doom on PlayStation 4, the 2016 one, not the one that just came out. If you're looking for something to do to pass time and, I don't know, keep your senses heightened because it's fucking intense. Uh, and also, it's a good stress reliever. If you have a PlayStation 4, I think Doom's like 10 bucks right now on the PSN, so go for that. Um, and, and see if see if you can beat Alex's uh, all time low record of finishing with nineteen percent completion. Come I'm not on. I'm not a trophy collector, man. I'm just there to do the campaign, get in and get out. Uh, I have restarted Sex in the City from the beginning. That's what I've been kind of watching at night before I go to bed. Uh, it's on. I own the complete series on DVD, the box that they release. But it is uh, if you're an Amazon Prime member, it's free on there. Uh, I forgot how much the show changes towards the third and fourth season, like the entire structure of the show. So it's been, I'm almost done with season two. Uh, Is some, it because in the, the first couple of seasons, you still see uh, Sarah Jessica Parker doing their stand-up bits in between blocks. <laughs> yeah. And then they take away that they take away the laugh track. Yeah. What's the deal with condoms? Um, <laughs> Did you see that uh, Dan, I, I think I tagged you on it. He, he wants us to do sex in the city too. On oh, the show, God, man, the <laughs> the fucking Three Stooges. Um, it's a, it's yeah. The, no, the first few seasons are like it's set as kind of almost more of like a a mockumentary with like dramatizations, and it's it's kind of weird. I think they figured out like the parts that were working towards the third and fourth season. The fourth season's fantastic. I'm looking forward to getting to that again. They kind of. So they figured out what was working and then they just went and focused on that and then did away with all these other things that were kind of derailing it. Uh, so far, I've been interested to see how some of my opinions on characters and stuff have changed. It's still a great show, but I will circle back when I finish it and give a uh, detailed analysis of Sex in the City 22 years later. Uh, um, oh, one I guess one thing you would appreciate – uh, you get to see a very young Bradley Cooper as an extra. Like he's just this dude that makes out with Sarah Jessica Parker at this party. And he looks exactly the same 20 years ago as he does now. He's just a, <laughs> a damn handsome man. Um, I'm sure he looked more interesting than he did in uh, the hangover three. Fuck. Yeah, I would be too. Um, I want to plug my co-host Julio. He was recently on a podcast titled Hey Mitch. Uh, it was episode 104. I thought you did an excellent job of explaining our podcast and just basically presenting what we do with intelligence and very articulate uh, phrasing. 
I really enjoyed listening. Not just obviously you talk about us, but I enjoyed that whole episode and talking about your experience of moving to the States, being a writer, you know, the things you've done. And uh, so check out the uh, check out. Hey, Mitch, it's a podcast. And uh, be sure to check out Julio's episode on there. Uh, and then being very egotistical and very self-absorbed. I did really appreciate that the the one major credit you gave to me was like, I didn't have to take notes for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I just had it all in my head and was ready to go. <laughs> um, and then lastly, rounding out my plugs, uh, I mentioned Sex in the City being on Amazon Prime. Also for you Amazon Prime members for free is The Strangers Pray at Night, which uh, my sister and I watched last weekend. Uh, just I think we just woke up on Sunday and we're like, let's watch a horror movie. And it's fucking an hour and 20 minutes. It is nothing like The Strangers with Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman. It's just basically. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? Good. I like both of them. So uh, they tried to like do this centralized story in the first one with Liv Tyler and Mr. Speedman. And it kind of, it focuses around that, what's going on. And it's way more um, like encroaching horror of like, silent and sneaking up behind you and just like way more rah whereas like uh this pray at night is an incredible homage to the ridiculous slashers of the 80s like uh happy birthday to me the slumber party massacre at april fool's day like movies like that that were just like you know riding the wave of success that slashers were having and just bright and colorful and in a lot of ways silly, but also there's some still some good horror to it. It's completely nonsensical. Um, the acting in it at points is questionable. It does have fucking uh, Christina Hendricks, which um, I remember watching in the trailer. It's like, what? Uh, but it's completely different than what I was expecting. Really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, it's an hour and 20 minutes. It's not a waste of time. Uh, big recommendation. And if you haven't seen the original, watch that too. But again, just kind of understand if you don't have to watch them sequentially as they really, there's no um, canon to them. It's not like the only things that are the same are the masks these people wear. But check that out. Check both of them out. And it, it motivated me so much that I updated uh, my horror poster collection that I went and <laughs> the storage unit and found the original poster for the strangers, which is my favorite horror poster ever. Do you know the one I'm talking about where like it's Liv mm-hmm. Tyler? Yeah. Oh God. I forgot how beautiful it was. Like I just it's unrolled that, it, it. That's from the movie, right? I mean, we're thinking like the, with the guys in the background. Yeah. It's like it's a shot. It's a shot in the movie, but it, that, that they actually took like a production still and used it for the poster and just like the, the font on it and everything. Ah, it's perfect. But yeah. So now I have that hanging up in my living room to, scare any possible intruders away um <laughs> so watch the wedding singer play doom listen to julio listen to hey mitch and watch the strangers pray at night julio what do you have this week uh well you already took one of my plugs because i was i was gonna mention the interview uh with with mitch he he was great he uh, it was it was a lot of fun and you know uh, i will give i was about 50 percent of uh my my supposed uh, articulateness goes to him because obviously he he did the edits there, uh, but he yeah he's great. Uh, you know he has uh, he runs this this whole sort of mini conglomerate uh, called Geek Elite Media, and uh, so the the side of the interviews that's 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 him and it was 
it's just a lot of fun. I follow him on Twitter. He he asked who had time to like just have a chat about geeky stuff, and I was free because we're quarantined. <laughs> and and yeah, it turned out to be great. I I had a lot of fun talking to him. Uh, so yeah, the link to that will be on the notes. Um, I have I have two plugs. I have a movie plug and a video game plug, and I'm not gonna go too extensively on either. Uh, because there are things that you should probably experience by yourself. But uh, movie-wise, if you haven't seen Honey Boy, you should. It's on Amazon Prime. It's an Amazon Prime production. And it's kind of like part one, I think, of the uh, Shia LaBeouf renaissance. Uh, if, if if it is happening, I think it is. Uh, have you heard of Honey Boy, Alex? No. no the only it kind of missed heard... out. Yeah, I, I know uh, Peanut Butter Falcon got all the play. Yep. Uh, so that would be part two, I think, release wise. I think Honey Boy was first, and then Peter Butter Falcon. But he had a he had a big year last year. I still haven't seen Peter Butter Falcon, uh, but I've heard a lot of good things. Uh, Honey Boy is great. He wrote it and he stars in it, and he plays his dad. Um, and it's just it's just really good. It's also you'd you'd love it, Alex, because it's like ninety minutes. Hell yeah! Uh, and uh, Shia. Th- I think that a lot of it plays with your perceptions of it, of him. Uh, I think that you and I and most people have a pretty good idea, uh, whether it's accurate or not, you have a pretty good idea of who you think Shia LaBeouf is, and you can't help but go into this movie with that idea, and when you know that he wrote it and this about his life, uh, it certainly it plays with those expectations, and it by the end of it, you know, it's not like I've ever cared much one way or another but uh, by the end of the movie I was truly hoping that one that the movie was honest that it wasn't just him manipulating us <laughs> by writing something that would make him look like uh, a sympathetic victim or something like that right but, mm-hmm. uh, but also just hoping that he was okay that making this movie uh, hopefully has helped him exercise the demons that the movie would imply he, he's been struggling with during his entire career, you know, since he was a, a child star. So it's it's fascinating. He's fantastic in the movie. The little kid that plays uh, uh, child Shia LaBeouf is amazing. Uh, it's it's very well shot. It, it's just, it's great. The director is Alma Harrell, who I've never, first time I've heard of her. And now I'm definitely watching whatever it is she, she makes next. Because she was, it was great. Uh, and then, was slightly lighter side i i mentioned to you alex i've been spending a lot of time finally playing the witcher 3 which i got as a birthday present from my friend drew about two years ago and i knew it was going to be an undertaking i knew i couldn't just play it uh during my normal routine i was waiting for things to slow down and then things slow down a lot so I, I've just been spending hours and hours exploring the world of The Witcher. I'm sure that this is not news to anybody. Uh, there's a fucking Netflix show about it. Uh, so I, I, I might be the last person on the planet to to really get into The Witcher and discover how awesome it is, uh, the games. Uh, and the added bonus is that my wife loves to watch me play. Uh, nice. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, she'll be on her phone doing something else, but she likes, she'd rather me do that than me uh, play a movie that would, you know, she either doesn't like or that would distract her too much from doing anything else. So, you know, instead of listening to music, she will listen to me playing The Witcher, look up every now and then, have comments about what I'm doing right or what I'm doing wrong. It's just fun. We've we've bonded even more over The Witcher. So all all sorts of good things (laughs) from that game. 
We have given you a lineup to keep you all busy in quarantine. I know things are less than ideal right now, but we all have to do our part because uh, there's a lot of morons out there that aren't. So stay home. Check out the recommendations we gave y'all. Uh, give you a lot to do, and stay tuned as the summer of Winona, as Winona Virus 2020 uh, <laughs> carves its trail, blazes its path through the, the summer. Uh, but that is going to do it for this installment of the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That summer of-